Welcome to episode 118 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Telepractice Today. Unfortunately, our guest that uh, we had set up for this week's episode had a family emergency at the last minute and could not join us. So, so Kim and I put our heads together and we came up with a great idea. We would go back into our files, uh, into our previous shows, and bring out our interview with Amy Graham. So Amy has done so much work, and if you follow her on Instagram, you know what an incredible speech-language pathologist is. she is. And, of course, her specialty is remediating those speech sound disorders, and she is just incredible. So sit back and listen to this very early, in terms of the history of this podcast, a very early interview that we did with Amy Graham. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Tell tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got into telepractice. Well, I have been a speech pathologist for a little over 20 years. Um, Started off in the schools. Um, I'm, I'm telepractice never even entered my mind really until COVID happened. Um, but I, I, I would say I started this private practice about four and a half years ago, not ever anticipating doing telepractice. Um, and then March happened (laughs) and, uh, we had to kind of shut down. And I think everybody, every SLP, it seemed like in the nation around the world was kind of scrambling to figure out what to do. Um, do we just see services? Is, is there a, another way to do this? And, you know, there have been, I've known SLPs who um, have done telepractice. And so I kind of reached out to them, um, especially through social media. Mm-hmm. It was really, really helpful um, for me to be able to ask some specific questions. What platform can we use? Um, and that kind of thing. So I, I've only been doing this for just a few months, probably like many, many, many SLPs. Um, And beginning in June, I began to offer um, my clients the the choice whether or not they wanted to come back to in-person therapy. And many did. I would say most did um, because my practice, I specialize in speech sound disorders. Um, And so sometimes that can be extremely challenging depending on what the particular goals are of that child um, over telepractice. However, I had a few families who, for whom um, they really wanted to continue telepractice for several reasons. Some, some of it being 
Um, they were really just not comfortable um, exposing their family. They, some of them had older family members living at home. And so they didn't want to um, take that risk and completely fine. And so we continued there. Some of some people chose to do it just because it was much more convenient um, to not have to, you know, drag all the kids <laughs> out in uh, to come and see me for speech, especially now with all the COVID guidelines where I'm not, I can't have siblings attend, you know, it's only one parent and that's very difficult for some families. So um, I would say in June, I switched to, and, you know, right now being um, middle October, switched back to probably um, maybe 75% of my caseload going back to in-person, but 25% still really wanting um, to continue with telepractice. And so that's kind of what my schedule looks like right now. So what was your biggest challenge uh, switching from in-person therapy to then being in telepractice? Well, su- surprisingly, I, I, you know, I consider myself a Gen Xer. And so I thought I had all the technology down, <laughs> but I think the technology and just becoming familiar with how to do it and how to kind of walk my families through it, because you have on the other side, you have different ways that they're accessing the internet. They have different computers. And so I think the technology aspect was probably the most difficult part of it. Mm -hmm. However, I think um, since I was seeing my existing clients, I had already built a really good rapport with them. With newer kids, I think starting off over telepractice, that would be my most difficult part is figuring out how to build a really good rapport over a screen. And so I think it just kind of depends who I'm working with. So the technology and then definitely with my newer kids uh, having that rapport with them. Have you found any issues with building rapport? I I mean, there's, there's those out there. This is before COVID, but we, (laughs) uh, you could never build the same level of rapport with telepractice clients as you can in person. And so what have you found in that situation? I think taking the time and not expecting yourself to just jump right into therapy. And I've told parents that too, like we're going to, it might seem like we're just chatting or just playing and maybe even just goofing off a little bit, but in order to build that relationship and that trust um, and establish a routine, even you have to kind of work on that first. So I think um, taking maybe even a little bit longer than in-person therapy sometimes, because I don't have I can't manipulate the environment. Um, And so I think taking a little bit more time, getting to know the child, asking them to, you know, show me some of their favorite toys. Mm -hmm. Do you have a pet you want to talk about? Let me meet your sister. All those kinds of things where you're just interacting with them Mm -hmm. um, and meeting them where they are, I think has, has helped a lot. Yeah, I found that too. And it's something that's hard even... Today, I had a student that I was like, okay, let's do our tick. And then I was like, wait, they've never met me before. And they're not talking to me at all. <laughs> so right. that pull back of, okay, let's, you know, bring up some YouTube songs and dance around and work on some of that first, for sure. Completely. Um, yeah. What are some of the challenges specifically to speech sound disorders that you've seen? Because I know that's one that people are kind of like, I don't know how to do that over teletherapy. 
I think there are two main ones when with my younger kids, they're typically working on phonological goals. And so I think getting them um, really engaged and at the same time, creating an environment where they can get enough trials and accurate trials in during therapy is the challenge with them. So um, to me, that's been challenging, but we've been very successful. If we're picking some activities and fun games um, and my therapy in person is nothing fancy and my therapy um, online is nothing fancy. It's just something really quick and fun and turn-taking and the focus is on what our targets are what our target words or phrases are. Um, so for my little ones, I think finding what is engaging to them is a little bit challenging, but there are some you know great websites like Toy Theater and um, the Ultimate SLP that have been really helpful for that. Um, and then with my older kids who tend to be more articulation where the issue is single sound errors, I think the most difficult thing is the audio <laughs> because with lisping and I uh, specialize in lateral lisps, it's one of my favorite things to treat. That's incredibly difficult to hear, even with the best audio situation. And so to me, that has been probably the biggest struggle. However, I think what has really been helpful is to have a parent um, right there who is kind of a trained ear. Um, and I, I get thumbs up and thumbs down all the time <laughs> in the background. Say, I've seen that in one of your videos and I was like, Oh, I love that idea. <laughs> it's super helpful because sometimes I'll even think, Oh, that sounded great. And then I'll see a thumbs down like, Oh, okay, well let's fix it then yeah. <laughs> because I didn't, you didn't, it sounded fine to me. So I think the audio with those, those, you know, kind of those high frequency fricatives are, are, are super difficult and, and, uh, a challenge to hear correctly. Yeah. What have been some of your uh, strategies in terms of doing assessment on speech sound disorders? Because that's always Ooh. another big area that people are asking about. How do I assess these issues? It's been super challenging. I, I will say I have asked my families if they are at all able to do that in person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's definitely my preference. Um, because there are some things that I just can't, like doing a, a really thorough oral facial exam is not possible via um, <laughs> teletherapy every time. So although you can still get, I still get a lot of great information when that isn't possible, when they're not able to come see me in person. Um, <clears throat> so there are ways kind of, I think, workarounds sure. um, that like using that throat scope that I love all, is super helpful, um, especially if the parent has it on the other side. And I've, I've actually gotten a really good, surprisingly really good oral facial exam using tools like that, mm -hmm. which I actually keep the child really engaged too. Um, but I think for teletherapy, it's almost a little bit harder to keep them engaged for the whole assessment. So what I found too is doing bits and pieces of different aspects of it and breaking it up. So I might choose maybe three tasks for my oral facial exam, and then we'll do 10 words from the articulation assessment. And then we'll go back and do, you know, three more tasks, and then we'll do 10 or 15 more words from the Arctic assessment. Um, and then we break it down and then we'll maybe chat for five or 10 minutes so I can get a good speech sample. And so I think that has really been helpful too, especially with my really little ones, um, and then always making sure that mom or dad or the caregiver is close by. <laughs> it's really super important. <laughs> Very much so. And 
what's uh, what's interesting here in Ohio is that uh, the way our state licensure board has set up our license is that uh, we can't do all of our sessions through telepractice. Of course, oh, okay. Sort of, co- you know, before COVID, and so that's sort of the the lingering licensure rule. And the way I've always addressed it is that we do our assessments in person hmm. and do therapy through telepractice. You know, that way I'm still in compliance. But, you know, COVID kind of shook that up a little bit, but I'm sure we're going to be going back to that. But some people may not realize that, you know, there may be some situations or some states mm-hmm. where you're not supposed to do everything through telepractice. And maybe those assessments in person might be the best way to go. But Yeah, and I... I- I think just from a, a pragmatic standpoint too, and just getting probably the best assessment, I, I think that's the best way to go anyway. So yeah, I like that idea. Um, but like you said, with COVID, sometimes it's just not possible. How about you, Kim, in terms of uh, speech sound disorders? Well, I have to say, Amy, that I'm a little starstruck today because I feel like you have like changed the way I have done articulation therapy watching your videos on Instagram. <laughs> so, oh, I love hearing that. Yes. And I think for sure. Um, and I've used this is a plug for you, too. I You have actually started to create some materials to use online. And I've used some of your boom cards <laughs> for phonological processes and things like that. And I've loved those, too. Um, oh, great. And I think one of the things that changed how I was doing it is I always thought, well, if my target, if my end goal is that they're saying that sound in conversation, that I need to practice it in conversation. And you don't say that and you don't do that. So tell everyone what your thoughts on that are. So for my phonological kids, if you are working on, um, you can work at the word level, really, and, and they can generalize those skills, those new phonological or the elimination of those phonological patterns will carry over into conversation. So that's the beauty of treating um, from a phonological perspective when you have a child with a phonological deficit. Uh, But even my artic kids who, you know, those single sound arid kids too, I use principles of motor learning in order to practice those situations too, because I think in the kind of the old, you know, um, more arctic hierarchy, when you're working from isolation to syllable, to word, to phrase, to sentence, when you get to that phrase and sentence and conversational level, I mean, it's still really important, I think, to probe those levels to see how they're doing. But if you're learning a new motor task, like you're doing, um, let's say like for my lateral lispers with who, with that, with that S, for example, um, if I work really hard and they're learning a new motor pattern for the S sound, then I want to make sure they're making as many S sounds or like I call it with my uh, boom cards, <laughs> the flat tire sound, because we call it something new. Um, then I want to make sure that that is what we're practicing. So if you have the word, like, let's say you're using the word C and okay, we're going to put it into phrases and sentences. But if the only S sound is in that word C, then you're really only practicing that new motor plan for that new sound one time. So I think it's fine to work on maybe phrases and conversation, but if when I work at that level, when I kind of get to that phrase or, com- or sentence level, I make sure we've got at least maybe five words with the S sound in them. So that's what we're practicing, not just sprinkling it in. So yeah, I think um, I think it's important to probe those levels, but to to me, I think generalizing to conversation means you have to back up and really have have those um, skills 
at the word level and maybe the phrase level really, really strong. And they, they tend to generalize on their own in my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you have any tips for getting uh, articulation placements, working on that over teletherapy? Oh, yeah, <laughs> that can be tricky. <laughs> I will say too, I know I talk a lot about the throat scope, but that has been really um, helpful when I have mine on my side, because I, I've grabbed it a few times. I thought, you know, man, they're not seeing where my tongue goes for that K sound or the G sound. So I'll grab my throat scope. And it's, if anybody's not familiar with it, it's just a light up uh, tongue depressor basically. And so it lights up the entire oral cavity. So you can kind of see, and then I get my mouth super close <laughs> to the screen. So my kids, I mean, my entire oral cavity is like taking up the screen for these kids, but it, I think lighting, lighting it up so they can see exactly what you're doing. Um, is incredibly helpful for placement for, especially for those, you know, lingual phonemes where you just, it's hard to see over the screen and also having good lighting. Um, In addition to that, just having, I have my little, whatever you call those little round circular (laughs) lights. I don't even know what they're called, but that's been really helpful too. Um, There's an app and gosh, I wish I could remember it. I don't have it in front of me that actually um, I've played it for my kids and it, kind of has a slow motion animated, um, like a sagittal view of, um, the oral cavity so they can see what the tongue is doing. Um, and so I think that has been really helpful too. That's great. Those are, those are great tips to, to be able to see what's going on. Cause that's always been a challenge with some of my kids I've worked with and what do you do? And you have mm-hmm. the, the giant mouth coming at them, you know, <laughs> I know. I know it's true. I know any, I think any visual that you can, and sometimes it's different with every child, but think of what visual you can use. And sometimes it is those big mouth puppets or your own mouth animations, whatever you can use to kind of help them understand the placement is helpful. Well, Amy, do you have, uh, as others are getting into telepractice and trying to navigate all of this, any other thoughts in terms of um, tips or strategies for those people who are who are new to telepractice and how they can be more successful? I think it's, now I only work with speech sound disorder, so I can definitely speak to that as far as um, I don't think you have to get super fancy. Um, I will have, sometimes I will um, be able to share a screen. I'll just scan maybe those, you know, articulation sheets, you know, just any Arctic workbook you've got. Um, and we'll do something super simple, like play tic-tac-toe and you say the word five times and we just put a circle on it and that's it. And we get a hundred repetitions playing six games of tic-tac-toe. And I have older kids that that's really what they like to do. And that's all they want to do. So I think not, um, I think my tip, it would be that your therapy or at least my therapy has not been all that different from my therapy in person. We just find an activity that's going to get the most amount of trials out of that child. That's going to motivate them. And it's not always really um, fancy or high tech either. Sometimes it's just grabbing. um, I have uh, my Ned's head, if anybody's familiar with what that is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I will stuff it with items that I know the child on the other side really loves and wants to see. And that's all we we don't even have to do anything, um, any websites or any online games. It's just that child looking at me and I'm showing them different things. And so I think, um, 
knowing the child well, knowing what interests them, knowing what's going to motivate them to participate over teletherapy is going to be incredibly beneficial. Um, and it doesn't always have to be high tech. Right. Keep it simple, right? <laughs> Keep it simple. <laughs> Very much so. Mm-hmm. Well, if uh, there are others who want to get in touch with you or to learn more about what you're doing, is there a way for people to do that? Yes. So I'm probably most active on social media on my Instagram. Um, and my handle is Graham Speech Therapy, and that's spelled like the cracker, G-R-A-H-A-M. Um, my website as well, it's GrahamSpeechTherapy.com. Um, I have all my products on there and links to all my social media as well. Well, we thank you for being with us today and, and good luck with everything else you're doing. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. We really appreciate all of our, I don't know, resistant, reluctant SLPs that would have never done teletherapy unless they had to. But all of you guys are really jumping in and helping others. And I just really admire all of that. Thank you. I appreciate it. So that was Amy Graham from October of 2020, if memory serves, going back and looking at the date on the old file. Uh, We really appreciate Uh, her doing that interview then, and we hope to have her on live again soon to uh, update us on what is happening with her. I know she has more content and more materials that she's developing for 3C, our company, so I'm very, very excited about that. And maybe once all of that is released, she can come on and, and chat with us about what she is doing now. And so we will be back again next week with another episode. We have uh, those guests already lined up. So uh, hopefully no more issues with uh, last minute uh, things that come up. But we all have those things that come up from time to time. And so we certainly understand. If you don't mind, though, please leave us a five-star review. That always helps us to attract new listeners and to reach more people in the old algorithm, especially on Apple Podcasts. If we can get more and more five-star reviews, that moves us up and people will subscribe. And share the podcast. Share it with your colleagues and friends who might find this interesting. And if you do that, we would be forever grateful. And so until next week, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.